This is the What Now Podcast. I validate what they have gone through, and I am sorry that they experienced that or still are maybe experiencing it. But one of my personal quotes that I love, we are all unique children of God on our own individual journeys. Don't ever let another person's opinion of you define your self-worth. What anyone else thinks is irrelevant. The Lord's opinion is the one that matters, and He thinks the world of you. This is the What Now Podcast, where we discuss the culture and beliefs in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in an honest and faithful way in an effort to encourage, uplift, and inspire. I am Mary Alice Hatch, your host. Join me as I speak with Dennis Schleicher, author of Is He Nuts?, where he shares his journey as a gay man and how he used his near-fatal experience as a victim of a hate crime to empower and protect marginalized members of society and embrace his faith. Dennis shares how he decided to be a survivor and not a victim, and the pivotal experiences that led to his conversion to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Today, I'm here with Dennis Schleicher, the author of the book, Is He Nuts?, which talks about his journey as a gay man and why he chose to join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So welcome. Welcome. It's so great to be here, Mary Alice. Thank you. Oh, I'm so happy to have you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure. This is what we do. We're a 24-hour church. (laughs) Amen to that. Yes. So before we begin, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself so our listeners can get to know you better? Absolutely. So I'm from a town called Glastonbury, Connecticut. I live on the East Coast, but a lot of people know me or assume that I live in Utah because I spend almost six months a year in Utah doing devotionals and firesides. So I guess I'm what we call Utah friendly. Great. That's great. So I read your book and I have to say it was phenomenal. And I couldn't put it down. I stayed up till four in the morning reading it. I have heard that many times. Actually, can I tell you a secret? If your listeners know who Sister Al Caraway is, uh, she wrote More Than the Tattooed Mormon. She wrote the foreword and she sent me a photo of herself, a selfie on a, on a treadmill. And she said, I only intended on reading and working out 15 minutes. She said, four and a half hours later, my hips and thighs. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. It is captivating. I mean, your story is very unusual. And I pulled out some pieces from your book that I connected with and I found really fascinating. I'd love to discuss those points with you today. Absolutely. Whatever we can do to share the gospel. Honestly, I mean, I'd like to start with your background because it helps shape you as a whole person and helps people see your journey. So since you were in second grade, you had this desire for spiritual connection, even encouraged your parents to attend the church that bordered your backyard. Yes. So what influenced your desire for spiritual connection? Well, at the time, I'm going to be selfish. It was a Protestant church. It was a congregational church. And I would say it was more of a connection to my best friend, Katie Werkheiser, who attended that church. And I would see people going. I would look out the kitchen window on Sunday mornings. And I was like, well, why am I not allowed to play with those kids? Why am I not allowed to go and be mischievous? So I guess it was more at the time a selfish act, if you may. And I just wanted to be a part of something. Which is totally normal, right? Especially as a young child, you want to be included. You see kids playing and having fun and it's in your backyard, literally. (laughs) Literally, literally. So 
the steeple was just uh, permeating from the kitchen window and the dining room window. And I just said, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. I didn't really know why at the time. It was just more of a second grader wanting to just experience the connection of other humans. It's interesting, too, because you had a rough childhood. Your mother was abusive, probably had a, some mental illness things going on. And maybe it was a little bit of an escape, too, like a safe place. Yes, yes. And I know we're going to get into that later. And it just goes to show, I always say I have a huge past before I joined the church. And a lot of converts don't like to talk about their past, where I'm really open on Instagram and YouTube about who I was with my past. And I say not only converts have a past, but members also have a past. And that's okay. That's what the atonement is for. Yeah, it's true. And being transparent allows other people the opportunity to have some healing. Yes. Opens the discussion to talk about these sensitive subjects, which is why I do the podcast. But it was interesting to me when I was reading in your book, how those people continue to be very supportive of you. Yes. Even after you left the church and went in a different direction, they were still there for you. There was consistency there. Absolutely. So when I left the congregational church, well, actually, let's back up a little, was before my parents left and became uh, fundamentalist costals and born-again Christians. And so it didn't resonate with me because of the constant, God's going to strike you dead, Jesus doesn't love you, the hooting and the hollering, the praying out to dinner to get attention. And it just did not, something said, this isn't right. And at the time, I would have said it was my ego. Now I would say it's a spirit because I didn't resonate with that. But I still continued to attend. When I was 15 years old, I had the opportunity to take confirmation classes. And it was every Monday after school, and we would sit and read the Bible and learn about the biblical structures of Jesus Christ and his love. And I still attended that, even though my parents were of a different faith. And my grandmother and I would go to church together. And she lived, I was blessed to grow up in a cul-de-sac. My grandfather was a contractor, and he built houses for a living. And he built the street that we lived on, but when we had the picture taken for the church bulletin, it was now Dennis party of one, not my family. That's hard. That's hard at a young age too, to, th where you feel like your parents are the spiritual guide in some ways when you're that young and that they joined a church that was fear-based. Yeah. Right? Still are. I mean, they are still, my father's a deacon of that church and I love him dearly. It's just, we are of different faith. Yeah. And that's interesting. And that's a challenge for a small child to know, or even a young adult at 14, 15, to be pressured to go to church where you don't feel connected, but you're almost threatened to go there. Well, so I see that a lot now with kids that are saying, or teenagers saying that I don't want to go to church on Sunday. And at the time when I was that age, I hate to say this, but demanded not to go to my parents' church which I did. And they could have very easily said, no, you need to go to church. And I think that's something that Latter-day Saints need to be adamant about is that you need to go to church. You need to attend church as long as you're living under this roof or our roof, our house, and we're providing for you. 
you need to attend church until you're legally able to support yourself financially. Yeah, it's interesting because people really are on their own journey. I mean, even if you're born into the church, at some point you have to find your own testimony. Yeah. And how are you going to find that if you don't give it a chance and have the exposure to something that can build your faith? Well, and I see that so many times. I mean, my first calling, oh my heavens, ward mission leader, and I'm looking at God going, why me? I never served a mission when I should have been saying, God, what do I need to learn from this? And I see that with sisters and elders and that I serve with. And till this day where I meet them and I could tell they don't have a testimony. And that's okay because I didn't have a testimony when they started teaching me. And I can see within if I'm doing a zone conference or speaking at a zone conference for a mission president and I see them months later, I can see and spot that glow a mile away. Just like I can spot that black badge. It's like Mormon R. I can go beep, 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 beep. <laughs> <laughs> Razor in. Yep. Black badge, black badge, black badge. So, yeah. Yeah, they have you really connected to the missionaries. How are they using you in that way? Are they helping? Are you helping facilitate for other people in the LGBTQ community and help them see where they fit in the culture? How is that? Yeah, so it's a plethora of situations. It first started where I was asked to speak at a zone, or I was asked by missionaries to do a lesson, a member or a lesson with a person who was looking into our church. At the time, it was called Investigators. Now we call them friends. So, (laughs) which is better. Yeah. So they called me and I'm like, sure, but what's an investigator and what's this? And I had no idea at the time when I was being called to, I was driving hours to go do these lessons. I was driving down to almost the New York border or to Boston. And I live a hundred miles from New York city and a hundred miles from Boston. I'm smack in the middle, two hours, either direction. And I just was driving everywhere doing these lessons, not understanding why. And then I found out later, it's like when the sisters said, we got a gay, we got a gay. They were so innocent when they said that. They didn't know that you don't go around screaming, we got a gay, you know? (laughs) Right, right. But they were just so, so happy. And I love them for that. And that's what caused me to be really protective of the missionaries when at one time I used to be really hateful towards the missionaries because I assumed or thought that because I was a Googleologist, I would go on Google and read all the negative and all the hatred and all the plethora of stuff. And I would go, oh, this church is horrible. Dennis, as an LGBT advocate, needs to do something about this. And it just shows you the power of the Holy Ghost did a 360 degree turn with Dennis. He can do a 360 degree turn on anybody. We just need to ask. We need to get to our knees. We need to say, God, I don't feel like I have a testimony or I don't feel like I am able to share the gospel or go on a mission. I need you. And he will not let you down. I'm sorry. I'm getting emotional. I'm just passionate about this and I'm feeling the spirit. And I read all of your questions that you had sent me that you're going to ask for this interview. And and I just said, you know, Dennis, let the spirit take over. And that's exactly what I pray that people are feeling. Yeah. I mean, this is deeply personal. You've had 
a come to Jesus, so to speak, where you really have turned your life around. I mean, it's impressive because you've had a tumultuous upbringing and the LGBTQ hate crimes are real. And when you were in high school, you were attacked by a team of kids. Lucky you survived. And I was absolutely sick when I read about that. How did you muster up the courage to go public about your assault by your classmates and the inappropriate response from your school administration? I feel like the Lord is using you to make change, even at a very young age. So for your viewers that haven't read my book, Is He Nuts? Why a Gay Man Would Become a Member of the Church of Jesus Christ. Originally, when a general authority had asked me to write it, it was supposed to be, is he nuts? Why would a gay man become Mormon? And then we, our prophet received revelation. And I have a strong testimony that we do need to refer to ourselves as the church with his name in it and use his title. Uh, to answer your question, I think back, I just turned 50 in August and I was 17 years old when I was catapulted in the international spotlight. I appeared on seven national and international talk shows. I was in, I was on the cover of newspapers, USA Today. I was brutally, brutally attacked. And how I equate my conversion to the gospel was, was resonating with all the pioneers and the persecution they went through. And having to flee the country, having to leave the U.S., the United States of America, having an execution order put out on them is exactly how I resonated with, because that's how I felt. It was 1989 when I was attacked. People were not going on. I was so naive. People were not going on Larry King Live on CNN or on Oprah or Sally or these talk shows that a lot of our listeners probably don't even know who they are. But it was like the blue check mark of Instagram, if you may, but for TV. And I would say again, it was the spirit. I feel inspired to share when I was recording Larry King Live, it was broadcasted and I was wearing an earpiece and they were counting backwards, three, two, one, and then they went live and I could hear in the earpiece, Tokyo now tuning in, Australia, New Zealand now connected, Istanbul now translating, Russia now translating. And during commercial break, I said to the producer, what is that? And he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. You're not supposed to be hearing that. We'll, we'll have the sound people take that off. But we're translated in over 100 different languages in 88 countries. Wow. And I went, buh, 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 buh. and then three, two, one, live from commercial, back. And I'm like, ah, oh, you're in the headlights. Yeah. And at a young age. At, I was 17 years old yeah. when I did that. And that's just unheard of. And later I found out that People that age or people weren't going on national TV and saying I was attacked or I was beaten up for being gay or accused of being gay and where this is what happened to me. And later, we're going to get into this in a little bit, which is all the reasons for your listeners to stay tuned because there's a lot to come. <laughs> <laughs> this is only just the tip of the iceberg. And it was a pivotal point for shaping, I think, who I am today. 
A lot of people have referred to me. I don't like this because my good friend, Marie Osmond, says there are no famous people in our church. And I agree. It's not about me. It's about what can I do for you. But a lot of people do refer to me as the pioneer of diversity, or they'll bring up an apostle in the Bible, and they'll say, you're the modern version of. And I have a hard time with that because I am just Dennis. And when I do devotionals or stake center talks, I'm, I'm adamant that I don't want to speak at the pulpit. I want to be wearing a clip microphone and I want to be on the same level as everyone else because I don't hold the keys or the stewardship over that stake. And I am not a general authority. I am not a bishop or a stake president or anything. I guess it's almost like I don't even know if I feel like I deserve to be at that pulpit, but I just want to be able to be on the same level as everybody else on the floor. And I want to be able to walk up and down the aisles. And if I see somebody, a mom getting emotional, or I want to be able to put my hand on their shoulder and just touch them and say, it's going to be okay. God has us. I think about that picture of Jesus reaching down the water and saving, is it Peter who was drowning? Yes. When he was walking on water. And that always reminds me that the Savior can save us. We just need to ask. Definitely. I mean, the Lord gives us opportunities. He does. And he knows exactly who we are and exactly what we're going to do here. And he places us in situations that prepare us for pivotal opportunities. You just got one very young and you acted on it. A lot of kids would not have done that. So how did you muster up the courage to go in front of national television? I mean, back then, Oprah was it. Larry King Live was it. And I'm 52. And those were big time, big time shows. How did you have the courage to do that? I didn't even know who Larry King was. And when I, before I sat in the chair to be interviewed by him, he said, before you sit down, Dennis, did you see last night's show? And I said, no, Mr. King. And he goes, just call me Larry. And I go, yes, Mr. King. <laughs> <laughs> and and he says, oh, it was Princess Diana. And nobody has sat in that chair since then. And I went, Princess, because <laughs> I would love her. I was like, Princess Diana, Diana, and the royal family. I was, wow. And so I don't know. I guess I turned fear into, into power. I turned nerves into excitement. I turned and that's exactly what I do now. I know that if I'm getting ready to record a podcast and I'm nervous, there's a reason that I need to do that. When I defended Elder Holland, when he spoke at BYU in August, 2021, the spirit told me strongly, go on Instagram live and defend him. And back then I only have, I don't know, 10,000 followers or whatever. And the spirit kept saying, go on live. And I'm going, God, I don't want to. And he's like, exactly, go on, go on. And I went to go hit that live and I was shaking so badly. I don't know how I hit it on my iPhone, but when I did, and once I started talking, it was my most viral video. It's like, what? The gay guy is defending Elder Holland? The gay guy is saying, I felt nothing but love. We need to be defenders of Christ. We need to defend him, not be coming at him. And it was my most viral video and God, took care of me. He had tens of thousands of people share that to their stories or comment or tag their friends. So 
I say there's no such thing as coincidence. It's God's way of remaining anonymous. There was another time that a good friend of mine who was a convert to the church as well, she was baptized before me. I, I knew her because I became baptized. And a bunch of other people had started telling me, you don't qualify for the celestial kingdom. I just had this happen a few months ago with somebody who's preparing to go on a mission in Alpine, Utah, say to me, I don't qualify for the celestial kingdom. That gay, being gay is evil. It's of the devil. And you are causing people, you know, I get puke emojis. I get death threats. And you know what? They only strengthen my testimony. I didn't realize this, but I recorded a video and I was in tears saying, what I just shared with you that I, somebody told me I don't qualify for the celestial kingdom and I'm not this and I'm not that. And, and that the church is just using you. I accidentally hit post and it was at like four in the morning, five in the morning. And I said, I have to go back to bed. And I didn't know I hit post on Instagram and I shut off my phone and I woke up and my phone had a couple hundred texts just two hours later. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And then I started reading the comments on the post that I accidentally posted. Whoops. <laughs> Welcome to Dennis's moment. It's not an accident, Dennis. No, it wasn't. And I was hearing so much positivity from members. I had a stake patriarch say to me, if anybody qualifies for the celestial kingdom, it's you even before myself, because of all the sacrifice that you gave up to join this church. I needed those comments, and so didn't others. People were spending hours going through reading those comments and liking all the comments people were leaving under those comments, and it needed to be out there. And at the time, I didn't even really understand why they said I didn't qualify. But the bottom line is now I do. And only God has the answers. This is why we need to develop testimony in our Savior, Jesus Christ, not man, because man is not perfect. Mm -hmm. And we don't know all things. Yeah. And President Nelson is begging us, pleading with us to do that. He is. I he love is. That guy. I love that guy. He's awesome. He's amazing. I wish I could just give him a big hug. <laughs> <laughs> I know all of us wish that. At the rate you're going, you might be able to. <laughs> oh, I hope so. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I love the empowerment. You're very progressive at a young age. I mean, you're 17 years old, you're going on national television, and then you take it a step further and you're going in front of the Judiciary Committee to create new legislation against yes. hate crimes at your age. I yes. mean, my father-in-law was a senior member of the Senate Judiciary Committee when you did that, Senator Orrin Hatch. Really? So that's why that resonated with you when I talked about that in my book. Yes. Okay. Yes, that Connecticut hate crimes bill, I think he was a part of that. Seriously. And so, that took effect in October 1991 when he was a senior member on that committee. So wow. how empowering was that moment when you realized oh. you contributed to this positive yeah. legislation? Yeah, I mean, I had no clue. Again, I was naive what I was doing, and I ended up getting up there. I was at... So it's like the members of the church. It's a small, I mean, whenever I fly and I always wear BYU, that's a whole nother story. Never uh -huh. BYU, but whenever I, you know, it's almost like a calling card. It's people spot you and go, hey, BYU. I'm like, holler. 
and holler is like a thing that I do. It's hello or something, but it's just my thing. And I'm kind of known for it. And people, why does he go holler? But that's just my thing. Anyway. <laughs> so it's a small community. So I was introduced to somebody's house and they were organizing this and it was a bunch of lawyers and they were getting ready to speak. And they had asked me to speak because it two years, well, it was a year after October 1989. It was January 1990 that I aired my first international talk show and that won the talk show at a daytime Emmy which was okay. I was asked to speak because there was no hate crime bill in effect for the students who attacked me and who almost took my life. There was no protection. So the one who was arrested and charged was myself. And I was the victim who was arrested and was attend the legal system. And I was a minor. I know you're going to talk about this later, an emancipated minor. So I was my own legal guardian at the time. And I had no parental support. I had no guidance. And I was an scapegoat. Said, we have to charge somebody in this. So let's charge the victim. And that's what happened. That is criminal. <laughs> I mean, it's just horrific, really. You were the scapegoat. You were the fall guy. And you were the one being almost killed by these men and the administrators that they wouldn't even see that and so blind to it, choosing to be blind to it was ridiculous. I mean, I want to go back since you mentioned your pansomation from your emancipated yourself from your parents when you were only 16 years old. You have so much internal strength and courage that is beyond someone of your age at that time. How did you find the strength and courage to move forward with that pivotal moment during your childhood? First of all, I don't advocate for anyone to, I always say my journey isn't for everyone, meaning into the right. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and that... I will always love you as an eternal brother or sister if you choose to leave. I will respect you because there's so much judgment. As far as that goes, I was driven in the sense that I did not put into conversion therapy or my parents saying that we're going to put you in conversion therapy. So I ended up emancipating. But it was a different era. Just our church to Jesus Christ was a different era. And people can't let go of that. And that's something that they say, well, what about blacks in the priesthood? Well, hello, that was the 70s. Get over it. <laughs> you know, like, sorry, I don't mean to be so... We're in a different era. We that are in a different time. era. The car you drove 20 years ago probably isn't the car you're driving today. Or what you wore to kindergarten isn't what you're probably wearing down the street today. So I just say, we need to have more faith. So how did I muster up the courage? It was more, I don't really have- Did you have... feel led by God? Did you feel that influence like a power beyond your own? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I just knew it had to be done and I was taken care of. I was a childhood soap opera star and I was a model and I used to do a lot of acting. So the only way I could have access to my trust was to become emancipated so that I could legally take care of myself and support myself financially. And would have I rather have saved that for something else? I used all that money to pay for college and stuff where had I stayed home, my parents would have done it. But there's a reason God had a plan and I trust in his divine plan. I have been blessed 
I have lost everything joining this church. And people have felt prompted when I was spending four and a half months in Utah in 2019 speaking and talking and doing stake center talks. There was a husband and wife said, we were praying and we would like to ask you if you have AAA because we're concerned about you driving back to Connecticut in your car. And I went, uh, what? Because I didn't. And I was driving back with nothing, wonder, relying on prayer, relying on the spirit told me to go to Utah. And I, the spirit said, we'll get you back home. I, and I was losing everything at that time. My career was, you know, unraveling. I was losing everything. And I'm looking in my account going, I'm so used to getting paid this much every week. And now I'm getting paid, what, $50 for the career that I was doing at the time, because I was focusing so much on missionary service and God has taken care of me. And so if anybody ever has a prompting to reach out to somebody, don't ignore that. It saved me. And being a full tithing patron before I was leaving after general conference in October, 2019, and I was looking at my bank account and I said, well, maybe I should pay my tithing when I get back because just in case I need that little cushion to pay for gas. And I, the spirit said, no, Dennis, pay your tithing. And I didn't even have a full testimony of that yet. I was only two and a half years baptized and I did it. And the next day, somebody, a complete stranger from Colorado said, I need to Venmo you $500 because I'm concerned that you don't have enough to get back to Connecticut. And that was the difference between sleeping in my car or getting a cheap Marriott or Courtyard Inn or Residence Inn. And I had no idea. But when I pulled into my driveway, I had $7 left. I wouldn't have been able to do it without that. Wow, that's powerful. I mean, it's a good reminder to our listeners, too, just to act on these promptings, even if you feel like you don't know these people it's the Lord's way of helping us support each other. Yes, it is. I love that. It's beautiful. I mean, it's interesting because you are so faith-filled and you distanced yourself from your faith for about 20 years. So what was the catalyst that brought you back? How have you come to fully embrace not only your faith in God and Jesus Christ, but to also embrace the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? You explored a lot of different religions. Well, this is why I respect people who leave the church, because I was an anti-member for many years. And when I became emancipated at the age of 16, the day I turned 16, I was walking out of the, the courthouse and my parents bought me a gold necklace with a cross on it. And I yanked it off my neck and threw it in the trash. And I felt horrible for that because it was a cross. It was of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't until the night before my baptism, I drove to Boston to pick up my friend Derek and Shelby Hall, who flew in from St. George and Derek Hall, President Hall baptized me. Didn't even know what a president was back then, but he was just Derek to me. And I told them that story. And Shelby said, I was just about to share with you you're going to probably receive a lot of gifts at your baptism because we had over 200 people at my baptism and a lot of them were non-members. And 
Shelby and Derek knew a lot of them. And so she said, if you get a cross, we don't celebrate the cross. We celebrate his life, his death, not his death. And I just had like this huge boulder taken off my shoulders going, wow. But I also threw away scripture that I had that was given to me by my parents and a leather bound Bible that I can't replace because I was so angry at God. I was so angry. And I've, I feel, I know he loves me even more for it. You know, it's interesting because you had a very negative association with your parents' approach to their religion and it being imposed on you. So I can see how you would come to that thinking, right? I mean, it was so imposing, so controlling, so scary that you'd naturally want to distance yourself from something that was such a negative experience. You know, so we are the only church, I think, in the world that I see it where people, when they leave, it's like people leave Judaism, people leave Catholicism, they leave, you know, Christianity all the time. Being a baptism, they leave, you know, Baptist. I mean, when people leave the Church of Jesus Christ, they don't just leave quietly. They go kicking and screaming, and they want to bring everybody down with them. And that's not where I choose to be. I choose to love them and try to meet them on the middle ground and say you will always be an eternal brother or sister in my eyes to leave that door open that they don't want to have anything to do with it but i get that because that was me i was that one that was hooting and hollering and screaming at my parents church and starting a protest and doing the picketing signs and marching in the parades and if you google my name it will say i'm an lgbt advocate well, I like to say I'm now an advocate for Christ because that's my calling. I love that. In your book, I'll quote you saying that. It says, I'm now in a relationship with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which means you're also in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Beautiful. One other standout thing in your book that I really loved was shared by the wife of one of your company owners. She said, Jesus does love you. How did that change your life, that oh, phrase? So it was pounced on me like Jesus. It was like halt. I said to her on the phone, God doesn't love me. Jesus doesn't love me. I'm gay. And she said, stop it right there, Dennis. Stop it. Jesus does love you. And I went into tears because it was the first time in 20 years I heard that. And that was the pivotal point in the book because it was that turn where people are reading about my past and all my transgressions and, you know, my ups and downs in my life and the loss of my younger brother to a drug overdose and my best friend. And now it's that turning point. Stop it. Jesus does love you. And that has repeated over and over in my life because when I received first presidential approval to have my endowment early before my year mark. And I was meeting with the temple president saying, I don't feel worthy to enter the house of the Lord. I almost started a protest at the dedication of the Hartford Temple. He said, stop it. Eleven people were denied before you to have first presidential approval. So the prophet knows 
and the first presidency knows you by name and Jesus knows you by name. Now that has become more powerful to me now because at the time I was still not in the public with tens of thousands of followers on YouTube and, and Instagram and Facebook and all this stuff. I wasn't, I was just Dennis still, which I still think I am, but it was the way for my stake president felt prompted to submit my name. I didn't even know what first presidential approval was. I have the letter hanging in my office in a frame because it, re it always reminds me that he doesn't just know me by name. He knows all of us by name. And our first presidency knows every one of our listeners by name. Powerful. Very powerful. Very powerful. I love your approach is so humble and so in tune with the spirit, which is why the Lord continues to keep giving you opportunities. Because a lot of it, we can get opportunities, but we don't always act. You're acting. And so that brings me, I'm feeling prompted to share this. When I got called, I serve in the stake now for stake communications. And when I got called over a year ago, I was talking to a friend of mine in a different stake who has my same calling. And I said to her, I don't feel worthy to be the communications director overseeing all the media and public relations for the Hartford, Connecticut Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because I'm dyslexic and I have a learning disability. And I have what I call Dennisisms, my own vocabulary sometimes. Again, said, stop it, Dennis. The Lord would not call you to be in charge of one of the, the highest callings, which is communications of the church with his name on it, if you weren't worthy. And as soon as you take it for granted, God's going to take it away. And I went, okay. So yes, I may see different words or may get different punctuations in my head. And sometimes I get ostracized on social media for this because I... I will misspell things sometimes or because my brain sees it differently and not see the difference. And But those who truly know me, that follow me, will defend me and say, oh, that's our Dennis. That's what we love about him. He's funny. <laughs> I have those situations. I told Marie, one, Marie's, one of her team members is a Buddhist. And I messed it up once and said, Oh, how is being a nudist? <laughs> oh, no. Like, like, and, you know, Marie looked at me and said, she's not a nudist. That's not religion. She goes, she's a Buddhist. <laughs> you know, like, and, but see, she knows me. She gets it. She's not going to say, what is he saying? Like, you know. The Lord knows, like, we are imperfect people, all of yeah. us. Look at Joseph Smith, for heaven's sake. I mean. Exactly. Look at what he did, and he was just a little farmer boy yep. in the middle of nowhere, not even that literate. He was known as an illiterate. Yes. And look what he wrote, one of the most powerful books, the most powerful book in history. Exactly. The grace of God. So I love that you are acting and not just receiving, but you're acting. Yes. And I want to just wrap it up by asking you a final question about the advice you have for LGBTQ church members and their families who have not been treated as well as you have. I validate what they have gone through, and I am sorry that they experienced that. 
and or still are maybe experiencing it. But one of my personal quotes that I love, we are all unique children of God on our own individual journeys. Don't ever let another person's opinion of you define your self-worth. What anyone else thinks is irrelevant. The Lord's opinion is the one that matters. And he thinks the world of you. And I guess if I'm speaking to parents who have a gay child or have left the church or children, people who have left because they feel that they have developed a testimony in Jesus Christ and he will work it all out. Man's not perfect. People get so wrapped up in this and that and, oh, the abuse of the church or this or that. You know what? We are a church of, of callings and those callings are voluntary. So we can choose to wallow in our pity or we can choose to say, I got to stand up strong and I need to move forward. I don't feel judgment at all for members of the church. I travel all over the world speaking. And I have been to thousands of stake centers, literally thousands. And I have felt nothing but love and pounced on. And people wanted to give me hugs and people going, oh, is that, is that? And I'm like, yes, it's Dennis. You know, they don't want to say gay convert, but it's okay. You can't say anything to offend me. And I just wish other people could put that armor of God on and not let... My stake president once said, Dennis, we need to smell more smoke in our churches. But we need to have, a general authority said to me, we need to have more gay people sharing charity in the pure love of Christ or come into our churches or events that feel uncomfortable because by consistently coming, you're going to show those that are critics, wow, that person cares. That person loves Jesus. It doesn't matter what on the back of my book, no matter your religion, faith, background, sexual orientation, or race, I challenge you to choose love. And that's exactly what the Savior would do. That is perfectly said and a beautiful way to wrap up this incredible podcast conversation we've had today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your insights and your faith. And the spirit was so strong during this podcast. I just can feel it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. I invite you to read Dennis's new book, Is He Nuts?, which you can find on Amazon. I also invite you to share this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Just click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're on Instagram, follow us at Podcast What Now for inspirational messages and highlights from our past and present podcasts. We never say goodbye, we say what now. This has been a What Now podcast production.